will stand for the reading of the gospel. This reading is from Matthew 5, 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. everyone. We are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we, got a, we got a tough text today. I'll just say that right at the start. So, I mean, just in these few verses, we've got adultery, lust, self-mutilation, and hell. Three verses. We got a lot. I think this, there's a lot of tough texts in the Sermon on the Mount. I think this one is particularly tough it takes us to some pretty tender territory. Okay, we're, we're going to be in a subject today that can easily lead to shaming. We can shame ourselves. We can shame others. And I, I just want to start by seeing if we can head some of that off, see if we can uh, try to leave the shame at, outside the door. Uh, you know, for one, we know, I think we know this more than ever, shaming does not bring long-term transformation. It just does not bring uh, the change of behavior that Jesus desires. And actually, what, what people find out is that what happens is you can kind of actually find yourself in this spiral of shame, where the shaming of someone actually just leads them into more and more of the thing that made them ashamed in the first place. So, so I want to just try to head that off. The second thing I want to do is we've got to remember not to separate the teaching from the teacher. Okay? There's going to be some stark words today. They're going to be challenging. Uh, they're not spoken by a guy who's wagging his fingers at you and shaking your head. Uh, they're from Jesus. They're the, guy, they're the same guy who uh, tenderly kind of kneels down with the woman who's caught in adultery in the Gospel of John. And If you were in Sunday school in The Chosen, we've got this great scene of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. She's been married five times. She's living with someone who's not her husband. How they did a good job of portraying how Jesus spoke to her. I, I saw in his voice compassion. I didn't see shame in that voice. So when Jesus comes to you and me, he comes to us as one who is totally compassionate and he's totally uncompromising about what is involved in coming to the fullness of life. Okay, the reason why Jesus is going to be so blunt and uncompromising with us about lust and adultery is not because Jesus wants to shame us, but because Jesus wants to show us a better way. Okay, we're going to have to keep, I want, if you find yourself moving to that place, you've got to keep reminding yourself, Jesus wants to show us a better way. Okay, Jesus is going to wage an all-out war on sin, including sexual sin, because of his love for us. Okay, so let's, I want to start there, and now we'll, uh, let's dive into the passage. I think we've got the first 
uh, verse on the slide here. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, just like last week uh, on the teaching on anger and murder, Jesus begins his teaching with these same words. You have heard that it was said. Okay, then he's going to list another of the Ten Commandments. This week, the Seventh Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. He continues, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, like last week, we talked about murder and anger. Jesus wants to move us from an external action, adultery, to the heart, okay, to lust. Because Jesus, Jesus ultimately wants to do is he wants to transform our hearts. Okay, like we saw last week, you can refrain from murder and you can still have a heart that's full of anger. And there's something similar here. You can technically refrain from adultery, but you can have a mind and a heart that's utterly consumed with lust. And Jesus here, he's, he's, in, he's tracing adultery back to its source. Okay? If, you, if you chase this stream, if you keep going upstream, where does it begin? Well, a lot of times, Jesus is going to say, it's going to begin with a look, a lustful look. And I want to say, before we kind of look at what does that mean, I want to, I want to say a couple of things here. Jesus is not against uh, sex or sexual desire. There's no suggestion in the Bible uh, that sex within the commitment of marriage is anything but God-given and beautiful. And we, we as a church and as Christians, we have struggled to know what to do with sex. We just need to be honest with that. Um, at times, the church seems like it's kind of obsessed with sex. Uh, at times, the church seems to single, single out sexual sin as, uh, as the worst sin and then ignore lots of other sin. At other times, maybe depending on when you grew up, there's been times where um, actually sex has been kind of so idolized that it becomes kind of the be-all, end-all. It's the ultimate thing. And the Bible just has a much more balanced, realistic view of sex. Sex is a, is a God-given delight from God. It's not the be-all, end-all. Had Jesus, of course, was single and celibate. You know, who lived a more flourishing life than Jesus? But at other times, I think this is probably uh, just kind of who's with us today. I think the other extreme we've gone to is we've basically avoided it. We've given it no attention. We've kind of pretended it's not there. I was communicating with a friend of mine who lives in the area about this sermon this week, and he remembered this sermon illustration from 20 years ago, so it's very memorable. I'm going to I'm going to use it. It was from a preacher. It was an illustration that goes like this. It said, imagine a stranger having a picnic dinner uh, with a small remote group of people. Okay. Gets to the picnic dinner and he notices that the people are missing limbs. Okay. So and during the dinner, they're eating it. He watches in horror as his alligator comes out from the river, drags someone in back into the river. Okay. And he expresses this shock and concern when he sees this happen. And he asks people about it, and they politely say to him, please don't talk about it. We don't like to talk about the alligators. That's kind of what we've done as the church. We've seen sexual sin do massive damage to individuals, to couples, to communities, to churches. And yet, again and again, we have refused to talk about it. We're like the people at the picnic that say, let's not talk about that. The Bible and Jesus are not silent about sex. Why not? 
Because Jesus knows sex is powerful. Jesus knows that sex is a good and God-given thing, but as sex moves away from God's intent for it, it has the potential to become incredibly harmful and devastating. And so Jesus here, right, he wants to take us beyond the seventh commandment, which prohibits adultery, and he wants to take us to the heart. And I think, um, I think the, the ESV does a good job, I think, uh, in its translation of, of, uh, of this. You can put up the next slide. Um, okay. Uh, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so if you're teaching this, if you grew up in the church and you're here, you've probably heard this teaching before. And I don't, I don't know how you react. Maybe you react. I've, I've heard this teaching um, I don't feel good about this, but I do this. Or maybe if, if someone's a little bit more honest, they might say, you know, I know this teaching, but I've stopped feeling bad about it. I do it, but I don't feel bad about it. But if you have this conversation with someone who didn't grow up in the church, who's not a Christian, th- there's a good chance they'll look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> like, this is nuts. Like, this is impossible. Nobody... You know, and the, the teaching is directed towards men. They're certainly not exclusive to men, but the teaching's exclusive to men. But no man does that. That's impossible. Right? I mean, you know, we've got all these hard teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and maybe this is even harder, some would say, than turning the other tree. This is just not realistic. But not only does Jesus, he kind of seem out of touch with reality, especially for someone who's not a Christian, I think a, a question that someone would likely ask is, what is wrong with lusting after a woman? seems fairly harmless. It's a fantasy played out in one's head. Nobody else sees it. seems pretty harmless. What's the problem? Let's think about it. Let's kind of let's dig down on what's going on with lust. Lust takes a person, in this case a woman, and it turns that person into an object. So let me give you, I got my cup here. Let me use this as an example. This cup is an object. It is created to be used, right? If I drink water from this cup, this cup is doing exactly what it was intended for, and I'm doing exactly what I need to do with the cup. It's satisfying a desire of mine. Okay? It's an object. If I do something similar with a woman, and if I look at a woman lustfully, what I'm doing is I'm turning that woman into an object. Okay? Now that woman exists to serve my needs. In this case, satisfy my sexual desire. This is a problem. Why is this a problem? Because the Bible tells me that this woman is, in fact, not an object. She's a person. She's someone who bears the image of God and therefore is someone who's of infinite worth. Right? This, this is not a, 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 an object to be used like a cup. Right? You, you take a cup, you use it. When you're done with it, what do you do? You throw it away. Right? This is the complete opposite of what God intends sex to be. That, that is self-centered. In the Christian understanding of sex, actually sex is supposed to be other-centered. We read that, that the wife of a husband belongs to his, his, his body belongs to his wife, and vice versa, her body belongs to him. This is the space that's for proper sexual desire, right? Because in this space, a husband actually seeks to love and please his wife, and the wife seeks to love and please her husband, right? Do you see the difference? This is very other-centered, <clears throat> lust is the complete opposite of that. Okay, lust is self-centered. Lust doesn't involve commitment. Lust doesn't involve any kind of sacrifice. 
And lust doesn't seek the good of the other. Okay, when, when, lust, when, when lust appetite has been satisfied, just pitch the person, right? In this case, it's the person. Just get rid of them. Get them out of your head. See, lust takes something good, sex, and it twists it. Lust does not care about the woman in my mind. Lust cares everything about my needs and my desires. And here's why this is so important for us to see. This is moving us away from Jesus' great commandment that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. I think we know this, but I just want to name this. We cannot objectify our neighbor and also love our neighbor because people aren't objects. They're people. They're not to be used. They're to be loved. And we got to kind of keep coming back to what is it that Jesus wants from us. Like, I could spend a lot of time in this sermon trying to help um, our brothers in particular think about what line should you not cross. And there might be some value to doing that. Okay, when, when do I move from seeing beauty and attraction to lust? We could, we could spend some time doing that. But if we just do that, we'll miss what's the most important thing. Jesus wants us to go deeper than external rules. What does Jesus want to do? He wants to change our hearts, right? Jesus wants to form us, men and women, to interact and see women like he did. Again, I didn't, didn't plan this, but I think that chosen episode is perfect. Did you watch the way he interacted with that woman? He values her. He comes to her defense. He puts her interests over his own. What a beautiful example of how we as men are to treat women. And Jesus models that. And Jesus doesn't just model it. He wants that to be how we then interact with women. We cannot objectify women and love them. It's completely incompatible. Okay? And here's the challenge is what we do with women in our heads will work itself out in what we do in real life. Okay, so Jesus takes this, like last week, really, really seriously. Because look, we're talking, here we go, we're talking about hell again. Uh, I'll put the, you can put the slide up. <clears throat> if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, so <laughs> where, do we, where should we start? Cutting off the arm or hell? Um, let's start with hell. Because here's, here's what's interesting about this. I, I think that sexual sin has the power to take you to a place that feels like hell on earth. Like you want to take someone and people to something that feels like hell on earth, adultery and lust are one path to do that. A couple months ago, I was listening to this podcast. Really, really pop. I don't usually listen to really, really popular podcasts. Um, not at all Christian. But I just happened to land on it. And this guy named Jason Portnoy is, uh, is talking about his book, Silicon Valley Porn Star, A Memoir of Redemption and Rediscovery the Self. It's quite a title, not suggesting we get it for our library. Um, <laughs> I think once Lucille did that, I mentioned a title and she bought it. So Lucille, no need to pur purchase that one. Here's why I want to tell you about this. I think this is fascinating. Uh, Jason, he's an entrepreneur. He's a venture capitalist. He's a Silicon Valley kind of guy. Uh, worked at PayPal before PayPal blew up, extremely successful, okay? And what's fascinating is that in this interview, in just completely frank terms, 
he's describing what sounds like to me a descent into hell. Okay, he talks about you know, using pornography. This is pretty normal. He's thing he thinks normal thing to do, doesn't think much about it. But eventually he, he becomes addicted to pornography. And the pornography is not enough. So, so then he starts to look for uh, hookups on Craigslist. Okay, then that's not enough. So he eventually uh, looks for, uh, he uses online escorts, and this leads to this affair that he has on his wife. And so he just, he just lays it all out there in these extremely stark, frank terms. The devastation it caused him, the devastation it caused his family, he had a little girl by the end, all while looking extremely successful on the outside. Okay, what's so interesting to me, and so and we, this is a story we've heard many times, but here's what was so interesting to me about this story. He was not using language of morality like we typically do as Christians. Okay, as he was trying to rebuild his life and he was doing that, he was tracing out this descent into hell. That's my language. But, and he's trying to do this as a way of warning others, don't go down this path. And here's the line that just stuck out to me so much. He says this, and they're talking about pornography. What I do think is very bad is porn. In any amount, at any time, I think zero is the right amount. I think it is toxic. I think it has hurt our young men. I think it is hurting our women. I think it is just bad all around. It's fascinating to me. I'm not a Christian. I don't think he's religious in any way that I know of. And he says, he's firing this warning shot on this podcast that probably goes to millions of people. The right amount of porn is zero. It's toxic. It's hurting our men and women. See, one of the interesting shifts we've had since I was a kid is that a lot of the research and conversation about the harms of pornography are not are coming from Jesus, are Christians, but they're also coming from people who have no interest in Jesus' teachings. I remember five years ago, I think it was, uh, and Time Magazine had an article entitled, Porn, Why Young Men Who Grew Up With Interest Internet Porn Are Becoming Advocates for Turning It Off. And I think this is helpful, okay? We've got the secular world now saying, at least a section of it, pornography is horrible. Because I think this helps us as Christians to now have a more open and honest conversation about pornography. Because the reality is, and you guys know this, the statistics are that this is widespread in the church. Okay? We just typically don't talk about it. Okay? We've got, somehow the church got the idea that, that the best defense against pornography and lust was just not to talk about it. Okay, so one of the unique things about sexual sin is that it tends to stay hidden. And there's some reasons for that. But again, we as a church, I think, have given the message that we can't talk about that. And so what happens is lust and adultery and sexual sin stays hidden exactly where Satan wants it. That's exactly where Satan wants it. Satan does not want this brought to the light. He wants this to stay hidden. We've got to recognize that. That is his tactic. He does not want you to talk about it. And th interestingly, now the secular culture is bringing this, all the harms of pornography out, which I hope takes some of the taboo away from us, that we as a church can have a more honest conversation about this. But I also want to say this is an opportunity for us as Christians. Like we now, as at least a portion of the world recognizes how broken its, its understanding of sexuality is, we have a different vision we have a beautiful vision. I think sometimes, and I get it, I grew up in a Christian home, 
we're embarrassed by the teachings of uh, the Christian teachings on sexuality. We somehow thought these were kind of arbitrary rules that, that just keep us from having fun and, and keep others from having fun. And so even if we kind of follow it, we don't want to talk about it. And we have this opportunity to say, we recognize your vision of sexuality is utterly broken, and Jesus has a beautiful vision of sexuality. This is a way that we can be salt and light to the world. We have a different vision through Jesus Christ. Because guess what? I'm going to keep coming back to this in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think Jesus is crazy. I don't think, I mean, I, 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 it's funny, but it's like, I think sometimes we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're like, this guy's nuts. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. What if we actually believe Jesus knew what he was talking about? How would that change our churches? How would that change us? You know why I think Jesus is so smart? Because he knows how reality works. Our culture pretends that pornography and multiple partners has no effect. And Jesus is like, you're nuts. You're crazy if you think that. You are in denial if you think that. And remember, Jesus has good intentions for us. We've got to keep going back to that. Jesus is not scolding us. Jesus is saying, I have a better way. I have a better way. He loves us. He doesn't want us to keep doing stuff that's, that's bringing us into this destruction. Jesus' path is a path of wholeness and freedom and flourishing. And that's why he's going to be so stark in his warnings about lust. Jesus is warning us about lust 2,000 years ago. I mean, the culture then could not imagine the access to lust we have to today. Like, porn is, is way, way more extreme now than it's ever been. Porn is way, way, way more accessible than it's ever been. And the statistics on pornography are just stunning. How much downloads, how much traffic, they're mind-boggling. How much of our lives are being consumed by pornography. Now, part of the reason I say that is we're in a tough spot. This teaching's always been hard. I'm sure it was really hard in Jesus' day. It's really tough. We're, we're dealing with some stuff that in that culture they weren't dealing with. I don't say that as an excuse. I don't say that as we should throw up our arms and say, what are you going to do? I just need, we need to be honest. We are facing a major, major epidemic in our culture. There's no other way to describe pornography in our culture other than an epidemic. And it's not just an epidemic, it's a health crisis. Okay, pornography is not a harmless pastime. Okay, now, again, lots of research is coming out that is showing that pornography is harmful for individuals, pornography is harmful for relationships, and it's bad for society. Let me just share a few things from the website fightthenewdrug.org. Okay, again, not religious site, but lots of research, research and statistics on pornography. Porn harms the individual. Porn desensitizes a person like a drug and can escalate into other substance and addictive behaviors. Okay, what happens, somebody begins to use pornography, they need to consume more and more and more and more extreme forms to get the same response, right? This is why it's a drug. Think about how drugs work. Often a person has a need, they turn to a drug to have that need met, and it feels good at first. It temporarily meets that need. In the case of pornography, one of the needs is a desire for connection and intimacy. Okay? 
That's one of the reasons why particularly men turn to pornography because it meets temporarily this need for connection and intimacy. But like all drugs, there's a diminishing return, okay? Now to get that same feeling you got, you're going to have to use more and more. And now it's the drug that's causing the pain, in this case pornography, and it's leading to shame and isolation and loneliness. So now you, you begin to use this drug to alleviate pain, and now it's the drug that's actually creating all the pain, and now you're addicted. Okay? And pornography acts the same way. I think the re research is pretty clear now. Porn hurts individuals. Pornography hurts relationships. It's been shown that pornography will lower the relationship satisfaction and quality. Okay? When it decreases the commitment that one partner has for another. It increases the chances of infidelity and it decreases sexual satisfaction in the marriage. So one thing you'll hear very frequently is that uh, once you go into the world of pornography, what you get in real life can't compete with it. Okay, that's one of the reasons why, strangely, the statistics are that younger people are actually having less sex, which is good in some ways, but it's startling because what's ha what they're recognizing is that real sex can't compare with pornography. Pornography, I don't have to tell you, does not give an accurate representation of how everyday people look or how sex in real life works. And it does major harm to relationships. Finally, porn harms society. Okay, porn distorts our understanding of sex, leading to greater violence towards women and even fuels sex trafficking and exploitation. And let me just say one more thing as disciples of Jesus. Porn hurts our relationship with God. Because what happens is pornography begins to consume our minds. It's like a drug. It's all we can think about. And guess what that displaces? That displaces God. Pornography and lust become the center of one's life where God should be the center of our life. Okay, take a deep breath. <laughs> I know we're, I, know, I wish I had a joke or something. I could cut the tension here, but I don't. What I do have is a way out from Jesus. Because Jesus... He, he always offers a way out, and he does it here. What's his way out? Gouge out your eye and cut off your arm. Okay? We've got, we'll have, a, we'll have called, we'll have an invitation at the end. No, we won't. It's pretty extreme. You can actually read some accounts where some people have taken this literally. I don't think Jesus wants us to do that. I think almost everyone agrees that Jesus is using hyperbole. Why? Because you can lust with one eye, right? You can't. And if Jesus meant this literally, it would have made sense to remove other parts of your body. My point is just it's not, it's hyperbole. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He's trying to, in a very memorable way, say, do whatever it takes to evade destruction. Do whatever it takes to evade destruction. Okay, he uses these graphic images because we remember them, right? I think most of us remember this teaching of Jesus. Because he wants to drive home the point, you're going to have to take some radical action in your life to remove the cause of temptation. Okay, the stakes are too high for you not to do that. So here's what we can't do. We can't hear this teaching and say, I really should stop lusting. I really should stop looking at pornography. Okay, that's a good start. Okay, we're not going to be able to make any progress if we really don't even want to change our behavior. Um, and again, maybe someone would say, like, why would somebody not want to Stop looking at pornography that's a Christian. Remember, our hearts long for connectedness. And pornography can bring a measure of relief to these longings for intimacy and connections, okay? And again, 
like all drugs, if it didn't, if it didn't, have, it didn't meet a need, nobody would use it. But rather than fulfilling that need, it just drives us into darker and darker spaces of isolation. So here we have to start saying, like, uh, I don't want this part of my life anymore. I want to change direction. And we need to trust that Jesus is offering us a better way. Okay? And now we've got to move that abstract to the concrete. Okay? We've got to move, I want to stop lusting to, here's some concrete actions I'm taking. Because Jesus is telling us you cannot be casual about this. Okay, you cannot just hope the next time you're tempted that you're going to just have enough willpower the next time. Jesus is saying you've got to take dramatic, concrete steps. And this is way more complicated, way more than I can cover, but let me just name a few steps. I, I can't preach this sermon without at least offering some things. You need community. You need people. You may need a counselor. You don't need to do this by yourself. You need people to walk along with you who you trust who care about, and who will journey with you. There's something really good and powerful about just getting the struggle out. Just get it out in the open. Do that with a trusted friend, someone you trust and know. Remember, Satan, his greatest desire is for you to keep this hidden. Okay, but also, you need that community for connection. That's one of the, the reasons why men turn to pornography. You need connection, just not in that way. And you need models. If you think this is impossible, you need to be in a faith community who take Jesus' teaching seriously and are seeking to follow these. That aren't saying, this, yeah, that's, you can't do that. That are seeking to genuinely follow Jesus' teachings. Secondly, we need to do an audit of our lives and figure out what needs to be uprooted and cut off to set our life in alignment with the teachings of Jesus. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. I don't think he means literally an eye or an arm, but what needs to be cut out in your life? Okay, we're going to have to cut out inputs and situations in our life that lead to temptation. It's, it's going to cost us something. In fact, when Jesus invited us to follow him, I think he said it would cost us our very lives. Let's not make any mistake. This is going to be costly. And I don't just mean to cut out pornography. We're going to have to cut out probably a fair bit of media consumption that maybe isn't technically pornography, but let's be honest, the lines are just getting more and more blurry. I uh, was listening to a sermon on this passage by a pastor up in Vancouver, and he, he had these questions for himself when he was doing an audit about whether he should be watching a show or not. I thought I would show you these. I think these are helpful. We have that on slide. Okay, so... As you think about, because guess what? Netflix is not really concerned about what you should or shouldn't be watching. The television is not concerned. Nobody is concerned. Okay? Jesus is concerned. So here's some questions. Is this causing me to stumble? Is this fueling healthy or unhealthy desires in me? If you're a man, is this fueling intimacy with my wife? Okay, what is this doing to me? When I watch this show, is it making me more joyful and hopeful? That's a great question. Is this making me a more joyful and hopeful person? Is this building life and love in me? And is this helping me see others as image bearers of God? We probably just need to stop before we engage with any show and just ask ourselves, if not these questions, a set of questions you have to help do an audit of, should I really be watching this show or not? One last thing. We'll be done. The stakes are too high here not to take serious, concrete action 
and putting up external boundaries, you know, filters on your computer, cutting out media, et cetera. That can only take you so far. Remember, you can, you can wear an eye patch and still lust. We are so good at busting through external boundaries. That's why we need to have our hearts changed. As Randy Harris says, ultimately, lust can only be solved from the inside out. We have to change the way we look at the world. We have to change the way we look at people. We have to change our hearts. Otherwise, we'll just be one-eyed lusters. This is why Jesus is going beyond the external stuff, and he's getting right to the heart, because that's where he wants to remake us. What we're looking for, I think, in, in adultery and lust and pornography and broken sexuality can only be found in Jesus Christ and the community that forms around him. Jesus is the only one that can truly address our isolation, our loneliness, our guilt, and our shame. We cannot separate the teacher from the teaching because the teacher loves you. The teacher gave his life for you. This teacher wants to heal you. This teacher wants to show you another way. If you are struggling with lust or with pornography, you are not at the end of your story. You're not at the end of your story. That may be the message that you've heard from the church. That may be the message you've told yourself. But that's not the message of Jesus. Jesus is a message of hope and a message of love.